Chicago, slapping the propaganda away, having a good time doing it. And I have to tell you, there is something about Trump that I quietly love. Even though I reject a lot of the policies, but that's how I reject people, on policies. But there's something I've noticed for years that you almost have to admire. He takes people who have never met him, who will never meet him, who virtually have nothing to do with him other than the fact that now they're citizens in America and they have this perception of what kind of a person he is. And he builds up such a hatred that he takes previously probably reasonable people who who lean one way or another politically and he makes them insane. And it's on the good side and the bad side. It's it's just something to behold. Now, I recognize that sometimes it's too much on the other side. I have a friend of mine sends me a, an email where there's Jesus is over Trump as he's doing an executive order. Now, he's clearly lost his damn mind on the, on the, on the pro-Trump side, right? But a woman who I, I enjoy it when, when phony elitists, the pseudo-intellectual, who lull themselves to sleep at night by saying, I'm a good person because I went to Harvard. Those people. Who, by the way, I've been accused of being vain. And it's true. I am vain. At 52 years old, I go to the health club three, four, five times a week just because I want to look good naked. I do it. It's it's vanity. I've got a face cream I help develop. I like the way it looks. I I do. I comb my hair. I get a haircut. I iron my shirt. I put a collar on. I don't leave the house without it. You know what I mean? It's just, I think at a certain point, you got to take care of yourself. What the hell is going on in society when the woman goes before Congress and looks like she was in a pillow fight? You're before Congress. I'm not asking you to be Lana Turner, but can you comb your hair? Perhaps a little lipstick? Is that, is that sexist now? I can't tell because I liked when people looked good, took pride in themselves. It helped make a statement. Now, not everybody can, can be blessed with beauty. I get it. But even Don Knotts combed his hair. Even Don Knotts combed his hair. Did you see the Orville Redmacher look like? You're on TV. The whole world's watching. What are you, nuts? All right, but she said something that really tipped the hand. Now, I've, I've, I'm sure other shows have played it. But this clip is a deeper signal into just the kind of vitriol and unfounded to their bone marrow hatred the pseudo-intellectual elitists have for, for Donald Trump. And I, I personally enjoy it when they, when they go crazy. Kings could do no wrong because the king's word was law. And contrary to what uh, President Trump has said, Article 2 does not have, give him the power to do anything he wants. And I'll just give you one example that shows you the difference between him and a king, which is the Constitution says there can be no titles of nobility. So while the president can name his son baron, he can't make Listen to her voice. a baron. Listen to the voice, huh? I mean, every husband out there was like, oh, my God, pour me a drink, Vito, hit me with a shot. Can you imagine this poor lady's husband? He's got to go home and listen to that. Eight hours. Oh, my God. What time does work? Here's a guy that drinks himself to sleep. Just the hatred in her voice. She has no idea who this guy. I mean, and then you bring up the family. Now, for years, even as we had major disagreements, when whistleblower had a whole new meaning under the Clinton administration, no one brought up Chelsea. 
right? We sat idly by as she took over the Clinton Foundation. No one brought up Obama's kids, and nobody should. The, the way in which all the gloves are off, what they don't understand is it takes away from what they say. Because the first part of what she said, all conservatives agree with. No one wants a president that's a king. She could have made a point and been somewhat persuasive. But instead, she wanted to stoke the flames of her own side. And that's what you see here. This, this today, if you watched it with any kind of intellect, you knew it was a sham. It's a fraud. This has been going on since he won. And I don't do that kind of radio. I don't come on here and I don't talk about 30,000 emails and the same blah, 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 blah. I like to think about the issues at hand and how we're going to fix and change a trajectory, how we're going to reestablish the citizen over government, because clearly we are servants to it. I think it's crucially important that you focus on how we could possibly change that back. And that can only happen from the from the position of strength. The only people that are ever going to going to give power back are the people who have the power. So what I want to do is have constituents, true constituents of the Republican Party, convince Donald Trump, listen, you're wrong on the collectivism. You're wrong when you think you could just sign things. That's wrong. We don't want to do that. We want to go back to another system. And that's the part where we can say nobody wants a king, not the Republicans, not the Democrats. But when she does this, when they line up, lockstep, like the step-and-fetch slaves they are to an agenda, with no reason, with no articulation, just the vitriol. What you've done is you've divided the country. And this is the part that Turley was talking about. I thought Professor Turley was, was very good today. I like that he started off and, and established the fact I didn't vote for Trump. But he laid out a concise, clear reasoning as to why what you're doing and the manner in which you're doing it, this is being shoved down everyone's throat without time to, to really go through the evidence. And by the way, let me tell you this, for all the people who are cheering right now, because they think I'm going to do the, 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 the 40 years of, of rah-rah, I'm still extremely troubled and uncomfortable with Rudy Giuliani, who, by the way, right now, is in the Ukraine trying to cut some film deal. See you in Ukraine soon. He's doing it right now. So that bothers me. Had there been time, there would be more evidence. But I said it in the beginning, and I'll say it after it's done. They've made a huge mistake. They've overplayed their hand, and they didn't think it through. This is one of the thinnest records ever to go forward on impeachment. I mean, the Johnson record, once again, we can debate because this, that was the fourth attempt at, at impeachment. Now, the Johnson that he's talking about, was right after the Civil War, where they impeached him because they didn't like who he appointed at a head of a department. It was ridiculous, but that's what impeachment is, when the House is in control. That's why all of the people who, who, who I, don't, I, I don't know how they rationalized voting for Congress people like Sean Caston and the Underwood who doesn't live in the state. But when you did that, Quigley, too, I got my eye on him either, that lipless son of a gun that he is. Quigley, when you keep sending these apparatchiks, socialist orientated politicians to Washington, this is the result. 
So for all of you people that sold out because you had a job or you were getting some kind of benefit or you were on some kind of cheese, this is what you've done. And it's a shame. But this is certainly the thinnest of a modern record. If you take a look at the size of the record of Clinton and Nixon, they were massive in comparison to this, which was, is almost wafer thin in comparison. And it has left doubts, not just in doubts in the minds of people supporting President Trump, doubts in the minds of people like myself about what actually occurred. There's a difference between requesting investigations and a quid pro quo. You need to stick the landing on the quid pro quo. You need to get the evidence to support it. It might be out there. I don't know. But it's not in this record. I agree with my colleagues. We've all read the record. And I just come to a different conclusion. I don't see proof of a quid pro quo, no matter what my presumptions, assumptions, or bias might be. Now, I have to tell you, as you sit back and you listen to somebody who's reasonable versus the screaming Mimi calling herself a professor from Harvard, you understand that if you are going to fall on a side of thought, you have to go with the reasonable people. Now, that being said, there has to be some sort of a, an agreement among citizens, because here's, here's the problem I have. Trump won in what was considered to be, to me, a shock, right? I mean, he was supposed to lose, and he won. But it took a lot for Donald Trump to, want, to win. And Donald Trump knew that. So he played the, the, the cards that he had to play to stoke the disgust a lot of people had towards the Clintons. Most importantly, the most unlikable of all the Clintons, the Duchess of Chaffington, Hillary Clinton, who isn't liked at a family party. I hate to break it to anybody, but she wears her anger and her and her her. I don't want to say evil, but her, her just demeanor of just bad intentions like a license plate to me. I mean, there's no, just take one look at her. It's like Camilla Harris. Everyone was shocked. Oh, Camilla Harris. Come on. She's the kind of woman who yells at a waiter. There are just certain people. And it's not about attractiveness. It's about the way in which they just are in their soul. And they transmit it. And that's what this woman did. And that's what these other, in my opinion, these other professors did. I thought it was rather embarrassing. Now, who's the one that looked like Sherlock Holmes? What was his name? The guy from Harvard, the young guy. Was he Collins or Gerhardt? Now, let's take a shot. The chairman has talked about impeachment since last year. Uh, Professor, where is he? Where is he? And I just want to uh, stress that if this what we're if what we're talking about is not impeachable, then nothing is impeachable. Nothing's impeachable. This is precisely misconduct that the framers created a constitution, including impeachment, to protect against. And if there's no action, if we if Congress concludes uh, they're going to give a pass to the president here, as Professor Carlin suggested earlier. Every other president, president, will say, "Okay, then I can do the same thing," and the boundaries will just evaporate. And those boundaries are set up by the Constitution, and we may be witnessing, unfortunately, their erosion. Don't you wish you had every phone call that Barack Obama ever made from the White House? If this is it, this is the top of the heap. If we can't do it now, we can never do it. I listened to it. I read the transcripts. It's peanuts compared to the deals that, were, that Barack Obama was cutting. Not that I like the equivocation game. Other hosts do that. But I'm just saying they have set such a standard that they're trying to trap this president, not on positions, not on policies, because they can't. They're trying to trap him because of his behavior. And that is disgraceful. 
and they look ugly doing it, and they're defeating their own purpose. 312-642-5600. We will take your calls when we get back. You know, and the other thing is I'm mad at, or maybe it's I'm, I'm just not reasonable enough to think that he thought, and I mean this, I don't think tr- Trump thought Biden was a challenge. See, the thing about you have to think like Trump. I get it, baby. I really do. No one's a challenge. Right. So I don't I don't buy the quid pro quo totally. I do think he wanted to use the information, but I don't think he wanted it because he was threatened that Biden would win. And now, as you see him nibbling on his wife's fingers, talking about suntan lotion being rubbed on his legs by kids, I think it's pretty obvious he's not going to see New Year's Eve, Biden. Are you kidding me? I can't believe they're still letting him out there, the freak. We'll get to Bloomberg later. Here's another one. Mary, thank you so much for calling the show. How are you? Hey, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. I have a comment and a question. Uh, my comment is... Uh, for anybody who hasn't seen A Man for All Season, you really need to watch that movie. It's fantastic. That's an and old I movie. I think that you had three indoctrinators and one professor giving testimony today. If anybody wonders how we wind up with these left-wing lunatic judges who legislate from the bench, there they are. Mary, I'll tell you because this. They, I, I, sent my... I don't believe they have an objective bone in their body. I work, you know? my, my wife and I work like dogs. We sent our kids all through private school. Out of all of the teachers in private school where I thought, okay, I'm comfortable allowing you to tell my kids something, I think I might have been at 30%, and I think I'm given 10% out of guilt. Otherwise, it's really yeah. 20% of kids. So it's not just public schools. It's, it's private schools as well. But here's who really fails the kids. It's the parents. What the hell are you people doing? When your kid gets home, you detox your kid. You tell your kid right and wrong. Okay? I told my kid, never, ever believe anybody. Not even me, if you, if you don't like what I'm saying. Look it up yourself. The idea that we've made these kids so, and especially in this time of the internet, when you don't need school. You really don't even need school anymore. You know what? It's because the parents. It's like the generations before us, and it'll be generations after us. They're lazy, and they don't want to do the hard work. Thank you, Mary, for calling the show. I like that. We'll call everybody a jerk, and we'll see who listens at the end of the day. Kevin, thank you so much for... Oh, did I hang up on Kevin? What happened to Kevin? I don't know what happened to Kevin. Kevin, thank you so much for calling. How are you? Sean? Yes. Uh, I'm loving you. Oh, thank you. Um, you're on fire. I don't even need the little blue pill. You're so good of a radio show. Oh, I'd feel um, so much better about point. that if you had cleavage. But go ahead. <laughs> um, so here is... Uh, I, I have a vote. I worked for that vote. I pay taxes for that vote. I love my vote. Don't mess with my vote. My forefathers who were serfs, they didn't have a vote. Um, The count, he was the only guy who voted. Uh, In democracy, it's your vote that counts. In serfdom, it's your count that votes. I don't like whether I am in love with Trump or not. I don't like someone taking away my vote. Could you give me your comment? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I think Socrates said it best. You can never really have liberty and freedom if in a democracy. Once people realize they can vote themselves a part of the purse, the treasury, they're going to outweigh and you'll have mobocracy. That's why the Democrat Party is in such a hurry to turn a republic into a democracy. That's why they want to change the way our, our votes are counted. Because what they understand is it's much easier to have a mobocracy as, as, as a socialist country, as a government, than it is when you have a republic. 
So that's why, who was it, Elizabeth Warren, who wanted to get um, rid of the Electoral College? Elizabeth Warren, and that's the call after Trump. Because in their mind, they were able to get the socialists that occupy California and New York and Chicago, who far outweigh the other citizens in the smaller populated states, to vote for Hillary. So in their mind, Hillary won, and this is an illegitimate presidency. Because they do not understand the difference in a republic or why you have one is because we're guaranteed we will never have a mobocracy. Joe, thank you so much in Villa Park. How are you? Oh, pretty good. You know, I, I ain't as smart as those professors. I actually grew up in Cicero. But, you know, I picked up on something very acute that they all said, um, except Turley. Turley was great. That as the evidence presented, you know, the evidence presented was tainted. It was mm-hmm. so tainted it was unbelievable. Why didn't they ask these professors, you know what? Would this evidence even stand up in a court of law, double, triple hearsay? That question was never put to these so-called geniuses. Joe, I'm going to tell you something right now. I learned, I learned a long time ago when I was uh, uh, at the Mercantile Exchange. People like this, they lull themselves to sleep at night because they believe they have these, these academic accomplishments. And therefore, they're better than everyone. The reason they hate a system that we have is because a guy can come off a boat and four years later be worth $10 million. Whereas they hide in these socialist utopian universities and pretend to be better than everyone else. That's why you have to reject these kind of people. So don't ever discount yourself because you don't have you're not a man of letters. Don't 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 ever, you know, discount yourself because you're not educated. You could be very intelligent. The two don't go together. They don't necessarily go lockstep. And if you look at some of the people throughout history, they really didn't have quite the educational background that would impress you. But they had the intellect to understand how important it was to build a country on the idea of freedom, the enlightenment that was actually thought of by not people who went to Harvard. Idiots. Really, I always, you know what I I couldn't stand about these guys? This is years ago when I was single. I don't want to incriminate myself and walk around like erudites. You know what I mean? You look at their girlfriend. They thought orgasm was a planet next to Pluto. Oh, well. All right. That's what's saying. Okay. Peter, thank you so much for calling the show. How are you? Hey, Sean, how are you? A couple things. Anyone who watched uh, uh, five minutes of these people talking and agree with the three oddballs versus Turley doesn't have a brain. Uh, He made so much sense, and he wasn't a Trump fan at all. Um, Secondly, if this goes through, if they are allowed to impeach Trump, it's over. Because the next time the Republicans are in, they're going to find something and impeach the Democrat. And we're going to go round and round, and the hatred and the animosity is going to grow in this country to where it overboils. And then we're really going to be up to, you know, what creates well, Peter, the battle. I'll never forget, I was a kid, I was, I think, in high school, and I read this, uh, this letter from this ex-Soviet professor who predicted America would break into six countries. And I thought to myself, how, how crazy this guy must be, except when you look at what's actually happening. And you see right before yeah. our eyes, Peter. I mean, if they told us right now, look, we're going to break up. We're at it. We need a divorce. No more are we the United States. We're going to be called the divided states. We'll have the Americas, the West Americas, the East Americas, the North Americas, and the South Americas, and they'll all have their own government. Who's going to fight it right now? After watching Congress, I would be perfectly comfortable with starting all over again. Just tell me where the free land is. Tell me where the America I'm promised is. Where's the America that's built on the individuality of the citizen, on the rights, on the unalienable rights of that citizen? Where is that country? Because it isn't this one anymore. It certainly isn't. And as you see, these politicians who are supposed to be representatives 
They're so ideological that they cannot decipher fact. They cannot have individual thought. They are lockstep with Cobblepot Nadler, with the pencil neck geek Schiff. Just they're waiting for their so-called leaders to tell them what to think. And then they say, yes. And that's a disgrace in a republic. 312-642-5600. So I got the show's over to the other side of the cantina. I asked the guy why he's so fly. He said, funky Comadina. Welcome back. Slap and Tickle Drive Time Chicago. I am always happy when we get very important guests, especially one who I've nicknamed, and I hear the nickname lives on. He's the Hugh Brunner of Internet News, Ed Morrissey. Senior editor, correspondent for HotAir.com, the Ed Morrissey Show host. Ed, how are you? I am great. I love that nickname. I'm going to put that in my bio, the I'm Hugh Brenner. You. Yeah, I, some, I, someone actually called me and said, do you really know the Hugh Brenner of Internet Radio, Ed Morrissey? I said, yeah, I'm free, we're kidding me, we're brothers. So uh, <laughs> that's I'm very excited. And then when I watch something like this, you know, my knee-jerk reaction is disgust. I cannot stand the idea... That, that politicians are just such slaves to a party that they refuse to think for themselves. But when you're forced to see it, it's even more nauseating. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that, in my opinion, I don't think that uh, Donald Trump did anything many others before him haven't done. That being said, I don't necessarily agree with it either. Right. But I definitely, right. I definitely want a fair fair perspective and a fair investigation and this is anything but it to, it doesn't look like that to me what are you seeing well look i mean i think that you can distinguish a couple things here right off the bat i mean this is true before today's hearing too which which is that there are, there are actions which can be um you know criticizable certainly disputable um uh, that don't rise to the level of Undoing an election and and disenfranchising the voters that put a president in office in the first place. Normally, you reserve those things for actual crimes, uh, and this isn't it. And I think Jonathan Turley in, in today's uh, hearing made it very clear that this isn't it. It's not even close to it, and uh, and that they are actually on the verge of abusing the their own authority in the Constitution to do what they're trying to do. Um, and I think that if they had put this together. Not as an impeachment effort, but as a series of maybe less um, politically fraught hearings, oversight hearings, uh, to to work up a a bill of censure for 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 Trump, they would probably be much farther along in getting this thing done and getting it behind them, um, and that would that would not have necessarily precluded any other issues that might pop up afterwards. But once you've pulled the you know the the impeachment cord, if you will, you can only really do that once. <laughs> because after that, it becomes a boy crying wolf type of situation, and and um, and and I I think that there are they are going to be left here uh, with a significant amount of backfire at the end of this process, especially after what happened today. And as you see, Jerry Nadler, who I affectionately call Cobblepot from the Batman movies, Danny DeVito, when you see Jerry Nadler <laughs> not to understand. 
or just keep saying table it or rules of the parliament or parliamentary procedure, whatever he was, you know, it's just so nauseating as regular people watching this. I wanted to reach through the TV and just bang his head off the desk and say, how about now? But that's just because, you know, I'm a Chicago guy. The other thing is when you look at how ugly this process is, you realize that these congressmen who most of whom are on this committee because they bought the position. You, you you see how ugly it, it really is and the lack of, of individuality and the lack of character it takes to be on the intelligence committee, on the on the judicial committee, on such and such committee. To me, I think this will backfire to where you're just going to create a much larger divide than you would have had you done what you suggested and make this a campaign issue like it should be. Exactly. And it's a legitimate campaign issue, too. I mean, I would say it's a legitimate campaign issue. It's about his comportment in office, and that's always a legitimate campaign issue. It's uh, certainly uh, something that would work. But now that they've made it into an impeachment thing, and I think they've really overplayed this, it's not going to work for them. It's going to remind voters that that these people were trying for a full year to find some reason to remove Donald Trump from office, and this is the lame case that they ended up making. I will say this about today's hearings. I don't think it was about voters, because I don't think you're going to see voters tuning in in droves to hear four constitutional law uh, professors argue about what the Constitution says. That is <laughs> that's about as dry as it usually gets. You know, uh, This was for House Democrats. This was to shore up uh, the, the uh, intestinal fortitude of moderate House Democrats and assure them that there really is a case, that you've got Noah Feldman and, and Michael Gerhardt and Pamela Carlin, and they tell you it's a case. They've got a case. Uh, Adam Schiff made his case. Uh, that's really what this was about today, but um, I don't think that that worked either. First off, I think Jonathan Turley's, uh, just his opening statement, was much more detailed than the other three combined. It was two and a half times longer than the other three opening statements combined as well. Uh, but he was he was a very effective rebuttal witness uh, called by the Republicans in part because he's not a Republican. He's actually a Democrat. He's actually a liberal. And uh, and he is very concerned about the House Democrats abusing their power in this. I don't know that they even made the case amongst House Democrats that they've got a case to go forward with this. And that's that to me was really the main audience for today's one off uh, you know, judiciary hearing. Well, this toothpaste is out of the tube to me. They're they're, they're definitely just going to impeach. I don't I don't know how you go backwards from this. But the other thing I yeah. noticed um, was the just the vitriol, even in their in their body language, the the way in which they spoke. It was nauseating to me, and it took away from anything that they had to say. Um, as far as their opinion to me, in particular, the the unkempt woman looked so unhinged to me. It reminded me on those nights when I, before I gave up drinking, when I would go home and my wife would open the door screaming. It was very similar to that, where I didn't even hear the words coming out of her mouth. Now, that's just me. But the other thing I'm extremely irritated about is that it took away from the actual problem we had, which was Burisma, which was Rosemont Capital, which was right. the actual nonsense and skullduggery that took place. You're no one is talking about it anymore, except when it's used as an equivocation. And I hate that because that's even more polarizing because even Democrats were having a hard time saying, how did he get to this point? Why yeah. was he on the, the, the committee? Why does Rosemont have all these contracts? Well, 
And, and look, I mean, I, I think that you can, you, again, I think you can have both of these things existing at the same time, that the Burisma, the Burisma thing was smelly, and what Donald Trump did was, um, was, was smelly, too. And, and it, not impeachable, but not good either. And uh, you, you can have both of those things existing in the same time frame, too. And part of the issue here, I think, starts with Nancy Pelosi putting Adam Schiff in charge of this. And, and, and I'm going to walk through this very quickly. Adam Schiff's in charge of the House Intelligence Committee. Almost nothing, in fact, I don't think anything in, in this impeachment, this Ukraine gate, has anything to do with intelligence. It's all about uh, the State Department. It's all about diplomacy. If you're not going to do that in the House Judiciary Committee, which is really where it should have uh, belonged, it should have been handled by Elliot Engel's House Foreign Affairs Committee. Right. And that would have taken the whole... Adam Schiff, Devin Nunez thing, and pushed it off to the sidelines, and you would have had a more credible process. Uh, so, I mean, I think that this whole thing starts, the, these hearings all start with the fact that Adam Schiff is in charge of it. You've got Devin Nunez, who's in, locked in a blood feud with him over, over what happened over the last, the previous two years. And it, it has colored the entire perception of what Democrats were trying to do in looking at this. I think if Elliot Engel and Michael McCall had been in charge of this, you would have maybe not gotten to impeachment, which would have probably been a good idea. But it would have it would have a better read on what actually took place in Ukraine without some of the rest of this and, hyperbole uh, surrounding it. And I'll tell you another thing. I think that they cut off Giuliani before he was attempting, in my opinion. It, I do not like the Energy 45 thing. I do not like the Ukrainian friendship. I do not like any of that. I actually think they cut him off well before he actually completed the same kind of scam to me. And and the the sad part is is that now the American people are so polarized the truth isn't going to come out and it almost doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's I mean that's the problem. It's a problem when you when you employ a non-credible process to try to look at this stuff. And I'll give you an example of this. And the reason I'm bringing up Schiff and Nunes is because they were working on the Russia Gate thing in the first two years of Donald Trump's uh, uh, presidency, and it went nowhere. The House Intelligence Committee went nowhere with it because he had this feud going on. Whereas the Senate Intelligence Committee, you know, with Richard Burr and Mark Warner. Uh, being in charge of the um, being in charge of that actually did some pretty good work on the on on the Russian interference uh, in the 2016 election. They actually did some pretty good work. They ended up you know disagreeing on some points, but they it, it, it was it functioned well, and so both sides ended up with some credibility in their arguments at the end of this. And this is just a disaster, I think, for for the House. Ed, listen, I love having you. Unfortunately, we're up against a break. I cannot thank you enough. I want the people to check out your uh, podcast, Ed Morrissey Show. How do they get to it? Ed Morrisey uh, no, just go to Hot Air, hotair.com, hot air. and, the, and the podcast, there's, hot a, there's a link at the top of the page. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, nobody pulls off riding boots like Ed Morrissey. Thank you so much <laughs> for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Someone beefed on me, called my wife, and said I was talking about her. She's toxic. You know? I can't just shut up. Why would you tell a guy's wife? You don't say things. There's a covenant here between guys. Had to be a woman. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, as you go through the process of what we're this is history, man. This is a big deal. That's why I think it should have a certain gravity. It should have a certain integrity. It should have a certain understanding. It doesn't have any of those things to me. It's it's exactly as it was on election night. You hate them. 
they love them, and there's an inability to think, to rationalize. Now, watching him in, in, in Europe, I'm loving it. I don't have a problem with any of that. You don't want to pay your thing with the UN? Don't pay the thing. And then, and then, and then I'm supposed to be offended that Trudeau and the little French guy are making fun of him? Good. Make fun of him. Because look at who those people are. I mean, one thing I will say, he, um, I almost love the I don't care attitude, except he's 100% wrong on Trumponomics, but that's a whole other topic. Bill, thanks for calling the show. How are you? Hey, Sean. CME Dittos. Thank you. Uh, I would like one of those Republicans just to ask this one simple question. Okay. What's not in the national interest about getting to the bottom of a bribery scheme that reached the top levels of the prior administration. And there's so much that goes in. There's so much going on, though, too. Because here's the reality. These countries, especially these Eastern European countries, they're mobs they're run. These, are, these, these countries are so corrupt. That being said, I don't understand why after the book broke and the story broke of Hunter Biden and Burisma, this is a year and a half old. This isn't new news. Why the American judicial system wasn't investigating him i don't get it so either either yeah. it's either it's an admission that at a certain level of clout you're above the law and all you need is that democrat clout maybe it's like chicago i mean are we are, we're not pretending that people in power don't see the crime of the of the chicago democrat party maybe it's the same thing nationally and maybe once they're in charge the clinton sent the tone and all of the nonsense that was going on there. Maybe that's it. Maybe the, it just thrives under one party than it does another. But to me, Bill, there should have been an, an American investigation. Because here's the other thing, Bill. I truly believe, from what I've seen, that Giuliani, Rick Perry, and the American corporatist scumbag oil lobby were trying to do the same thing. I do, Bill. Did you see what, what the evidence... They were bribing the vice president of the United States. Mm-hmm. The crackhead was just a go-between. And that's outrageous. They weren't bribing Hunter Biden. No. They were bribing the vice of course. president of the it's, United it's, States. It's corruption. To the tune of a million dollars a year, it's, which it, is oh, I, I, a month. But wait, I think it's even more if you really look at things. But what I'm saying to you is that's disgusting. But it's also disgusting because I believe it opened up a door for Republicans to be on the same scam with a different company. And what, what, instead of us getting all riled up about one or the other, I think we should reject both of them, Bill. Don't you? Uh, to some degree, yes. All right, there. That's a, see, that's, that's how you come to an agreement. It's wrong for everybody. So let's hope that I'm wrong about what it looks like very clearly. Rudy Giuliani, Rick Perry, and the American oil lobby that backed them was trying to do. 312-642-5600. I cannot stand the idea that these Soviet socialists hiding as Democrats could win. I can't stand it. So I get mad every time there's something that opens the door for the possibility for that to happen.
And as I see them scramble, because the fact of the matter is, I think they understand that their party looks ridiculous. From Joe Biden to Bernie Sanders, I mean, really, Groucho from Sesame Street. Or who's the guy in the can? Was that Oscar to Grouch? He looks ridiculous. I mean, they're 100 years old. <clears throat> so when they go to the sidelines, as I predicted, and I, it appears I was wrong, I predicted it would be Michelle Obama to swoop in and come to the rescue. But instead, it's a transgendering Andrea Mitchell in the form of Michael Bloomberg. Now, this guy is particularly annoying, not just because he was a failed mayor who ran the city the way Mussolini would have run New York, so totalitarian in his, in his uh, vision and so righteous in his decisions to eliminate things like salt and pop and uh, enforce uh, stop and frisk and all of the nonsense that he ran it like a Gestapo, because he did. But it's the, the ignorance. See, this is why stupid people should love capitalism. Michael Bloomberg's worth billions and billions of dollars, yet by all appearances, he's a moron. So the United States currently accounts for about 15% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Yes. China accounts for roughly 30% of greenhouse yep. gas emissions. How do we, even if we get to net zero, how do you get China, okay. India, and the other countries yeah. no, to be good partners? China is doing a lot. Yes, they're still building a bunch of coal-fired power plants. And they're still burning coal. Yes, they are. But they are now moving plants away from the cities. They are, oh, really? The, the, the Communist Party wants to stay in power in China, and they listen to the public. When the- That's not what a Communist Party does. They... They, 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 they implement and rule over the public. The public doesn't have a vote. There is no constituency among communists. They're slaves. It's tyranny. It's ultimate domination. They live because you let them live in a communist country. Yet somehow, because of green energy and the agenda, which is the scepter of the tyrant, where they have positioned themselves to tax you because you live, and therefore they deem you a pollutant. This is why Trump must win. He cannot allow people with this ideology the opportunity to put the final nail in the American coffin. And believe me, when a guy speaks fondly of communism, who's running for the American presidency, you should pay attention. The public says I can't breathe the air. Xi Jinping is not a dictator. He has to well, satisfy his constituents, or he's not going to survive. He's not a dictator. No, he has to. He has a constituency to to to. to um, uh, See, like a kid, he knows he's lying. He knows he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's like questioning your eighth grader when he doesn't know the answers to the test. And look at how comfortable he is making it up. Answer to doesn't have a vote. He doesn't have a democracy. He doesn't. That doesn't mean he can survive if his his advisors. Is is the check on him just a revolution? You're not going to have a revolution. Nobody. No government survives without the will of the majority of its people. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's just he he has to deliver services. Stalin killed what? Eighty million. Sixty-five, if you do the conventional math. He wiped out entire countries. He had a constituency? Did Stalin have a constituency? How about Lenin? Was there a constituency? Are you listening to what this man is a multi-billionaire? 
the head of a major, major news organization in America, and he sounds, by all accounts, like he doesn't understand what communism is. 312-642-5600. That's why this, this kind of ideology is the ide- ideology to be afraid of. Because what they think and how they justify their tyranny is by pretending that it has a constituency. This is what he is advocating. And this is why Trump must win. Now, the deck is stacked. There's no question about it. The deck is clearly stacked against Trump. And we need certain things to happen that Trump understood would happen in 2016. My fear is with this inundated misinformation with this inundated attack that the people like myself, quite honestly, because I can't stand Trumponomics. I hate populism. Populism and socialism are mirror images of, of each other. So I'm disgusted at it. And admittedly, I'm here in Illinois, so I didn't think it mattered anyway. I wrote not good enough on the ballot for 2016. I was disgusted with both of them. I really was. But if I think that, I know all this, and now In the next election, I'll be voting, hopefully, in Florida, where my vote will matter. How many more people who don't understand how bad it will be under the rule of eco-Nazis will sit home? Because Trump said something in 16 that it stuck with me. When I sent it to Misty, she goes, you know, this is from 2016. Yeah, I know. He understood and how he knew he was going to win. And then think if that's going to apply this time with all that's going on. We've had such incredible support. Uh, Paul Ryan called me the other day. Tremendous call. I spoke with Mitch McConnell today. We had a great conversation. The fact is, we have to bring our party together. We have to bring it together. We have... We have something happening that actually makes the Republican Party probably the biggest political story anywhere in the world. Everybody's writing about it all over Europe, all over the world. They're talking about it. Millions of people are coming in to vote. This was an example of it today. Many, many more people. I'm looking at the polling booths. I'm looking at different polling booths all around the country where it's up. And the lines are four, five, six blocks long. And the woman, one woman was in there for 40 years. She's been working the polls. And she said, we'd have two people here. We'd have three people. Now look at the line. And the line looked like it was, you know, long. It was really long. Five deep and long. And it's just a different thing. We have a great opportunity. And the people that are voting... Our Democrats are coming in, independents are coming in, and very, very importantly, people that never voted before. It's an incredible thing. I think he was right. My question is, and my concern is, I don't think that's going to happen again. I'm curious to know what you think. 312-642-5600. Now, this call, this appears to be my cousin on the line. Mary Kay, is that you? Oh, my God, fine. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Are you the one who beefed on me to my wife? Uh, no. All right, good enough. I, I always knew you were never a beefer, Mary Kay, never. No, I, I'm not a beefer, but I just want to tell you um, my feelings on Trump. You know I support Trump. I always, I have, and I my hand was shaking the day I hit the thing at the, at the voting booth because I, I was nervous about him. But what I've decided and come to know is this guy is smart. He loves our country. I'm tired of hiding and pretending I don't support him, being afraid to say I'm a conservative. 
Um, but I'm done with all that. I'm, I am admitting it. <laughs> You're out of the closet. <laughs> I'm huh? talking about it because you know what, Sean? The, the country is going to go, you know, where if, if we well, don't get a handle on all of this. Go M- ahead. Mary Kay, I am, I am terrified. That the that the socialist. But here's the problem, too, though. I I see a problem when when Trump economics mirrors collectivism and I don't see him willing to listen. So that's you know, I'm wondering, do I lose fast or do I lose slow? And that's the position Uh, we're at. And, you know, if you see and, you know, John, he'll he'll tell you forced zero percent interest rates aren't really good in the grand picture. No. I agree with you a little bit more on the Trumponomics thing, but um, yeah, and John would agree a little bit. But you know, Sean, I don't see any other way. If Trump doesn't get reelected, where you know what you were just talking about, I think we're going to be screwed. <laughs> you know, in the long term. I know, uh, I know where you're coming from. I understand, but I, I don't want you know, I don't want any Democrat Democrats. No, we have kids. We can't do it. We can't afford it. We have we have another generation. Yep. When people ask me why I get yeah, we like do. this, we do. We need I got my kids. Years. Your kid, you know. I mean, you can't have it. Can't have it. How's, so listen. No. Do you promise to do me a favor? Say hello to my cousin John for me, will you? Oh, I'll say hello to him, Sean. I I miss seeing you. I'd love to see you uh, sometime socially. Yeah, but we we had <laughs> or some, at an event for five sixty a.m. We had some fun, didn't we, Mary Kay? Yeah, we did, Sean. Yeah. You're the best. There's okay, a lot of stories care, right there, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for calling the show. My cousin John was there for a lot of a lot of fun. Bruce, thank you so much for calling. How are you? How, how are you? Great show. I always listen every day. Thank First you. of all, how could a guy like Blomberg, uh, whatever, Bloomberg, whatever, use the word constituency for Red China? It's amazing. Didn't he ever? Did he ever hear of the Red Guard, the Little Red Book? They killed everybody that was intellectual, a doctor, a lawyer. They just killed him. And it is going to happen again. Everybody's angry. You know, I, I'm a criminal attorney. I represent a lot of, you know, people that are, and I, I talk to a lot of black people. A lot of, they are, look at the support that Trump is getting from the black community. What, 30% almost now? People know that Adam Schiff is just insane. And Nancy Pelosi will go down in history as uh, just a do-nothing. Here's the question. So, Here's yeah, the question I have. Yeah. I don't know. I have one last thing to go say. Ahead. Go ahead. How did the Republicans become the red state? Isn't there... Isn't it wrong? Isn't the Democrats supposed to be red? Well, it was part of the strategy, divide themselves from the red communists. However, I understand your broader point. But the thing that I, I, I disagree with on, on with Trumponomics is, Bruce, if you look at the data, if you look at what's actually happening in Hong Kong, one of the freest places to live, one of the most capitalist with the lowest, it was winning. The concept of capitalism was, was destroying China. China was failing. When we started this trade war, we brought them together. And now we brought outside help from all the people that hate the American petrodollar. So what I'm saying to you, Bruce, I think economically, Trump has made a huge mistake. However, I still need him to win because if he doesn't and you add up of all of the foreign problems we now have and you put in a socialist, the easiest thing in the world to happen is for the socialist to capitulate the rest of American independence. And that's game over. So well, I mark my words, not going to happen. All right, Bruce. There is what Bernie. They're going to vote for Bernie. They're going to vote for Biden, a guy that belongs in an insane asylum. Well, I'll you tell know, you, I'm concerned, Bruce, because as you see, 50 percent of this country is very comfortable calling themselves socialist. I appreciate it very much. And as a lawyer, all the lawyers should be nervous, too. That's why I find it funny. 
all the lawyers who support, support Democrat socialists. You do realize in socialist countries and communist countries, there's no lawyers. You guys go first. All right. It's like one big joke. Silas, how do you say your name? I think I butchered it. How do you say your name? Silas. Silas, yeah. are you there? How are you? Yep. Hey, doing good, man. Uh, just calling in. First time caller. Oh, uh, listen to the show every now and again. I'm on my way down to work. Uh, Trump supporter, uh, UAW employee. By the way, throw that out there. No, I like anyway, it. It makes sense Trump. to me. Uh, just want to make a quick comment about the whole uh, interview with China uh, Bloomberg when he made a comment about China. She asked him about the coal-fired power plants, and his response was, well, they're going to move them away from the city. Well, how does that help global warming? You're still burning coal, right? Of and course. then uh, the other thing. Global warming is used as a weapon. It doesn't have to nah, make sense. But. I think the deal is, is uh, I think he's just doing the whole tariff thing because I think that's the way you got to play with China. He decided to take him on. I think if he can get him to the table, which if he wins re-election, he'll be able to. Maybe we can get intellectual property rights. I think this whole tariff thing is going to go away, but I think that's the only choice he has to play with China. Other Sorry. than that, they don't respect you. Silas, I have a question for you. I know you're a UAW worker, and I, I believe me, I'm not mad at the body of the union. However, I do recognize the absolute mafia that it is and the crime. You, oh, guys, yeah. you guys are just losing your own president and all of this. I truly believe, Silas, that in this Trump-negotiated MCA, very few yeah. people realize he wrote in there foreign minimum wages of $16 an hour for Mexico and Canada. How many people right. really know about that? Right. Yeah, I, I know about that. Huh. I know that uh, with the MCA deal, he's trying to, uh, I think there was a percentage of uh, certain auto parts that would have to be built in the United States. Silas, thank uh, you so much. I had to hang up on him because I got a break, but that's to protect the union. That's why that MCA is should never be signed. 312-642-5600. going to miss this music when I'm gone. I'm not going to be back for like another two weeks. This is it. Closing in on the final half hour. we got two Toms on the line. Tom, thank you so much for calling the show. How are you? Tom, are you there? I got one Tom, two lines. All right. Oh, we got a little phone thing. Tom, how are you? All right, I can't get Tom. Tom. It's the Tom Show. Everyone sing to themselves while we get Tom on the line. Can you get Tom on the line? Is he there? Tom, how are you? All right, listen. Let's go to Bloomberg because he's, he's, to me, the most nerve-wracking one. Not because I think he can win, but I think he has the money to build a cartel, of which you can argue that the Democrats are anyway. But he's going to stick this money behind somebody who is going to be viable. And one thing that we learned in politics, it's really about the the money. Tom, are you there? Yeah, hi. Sorry about that. Oh, um, I wanted to comment on Mike Blomberg. When he, he won one of his mayoral races, he spent $174 per vote, and hmm. he's one of the richest men in the world. You do a little quick math. If he was to get 60, 65 million votes, that would cut his net worth in about a third, and he'd still have another twenty or thirty billion dollars. And yeah. he's a serious. He seriously frightens me, as you know. He spent a small fortune already financing uh, congressional candidates and, and and legislative candidates in the various states. And one of his prime goals is the elimination of the Second Amendment. 
he is he's not for gun control. He's for elimination of the Second Amendment. And he's got some serious money. He's spread his serious money around left and right. And that's a guy that frightens me. This is why, Tom, I was one of the few people who do not vote Democrat that I was vehemently against Citizen United. I was vehemently against unlimited money in politics because what it allows them to do is to build this cabal of sycophants, of like-minded, ideologically driven people to move forward an agenda versus a principle. And to me, I felt that as the Republicans pushed for that, they would be hoist by their own petard. And isn't that what history is showing us as the only thing in this country to ever be restrained is government. Yet it is unfettered and it is very profitable to be an investor in government. That's why K Street is recession proof. And it sickens me that the idea that this man, who by all accounts cannot walk to the podium by himself, to me he's a punchline. He should have a nurse, and his biggest thing should be, what time is my diaper changed? Instead, this eco-Nazi could possibly and potentially either be the leader of the free world or be in control of who is. And it, it really drives me nuts, and it's all about the money, Tom. It really is. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. you know, again, that's, all, that, and that's on us, because why would anybody uh, allow themselves to have a vote bought? Basically, that's a person that is extremely low information, that's subject to a 30-second commercial on television. And unfortunately, that's most of the electorate on both sides of the aisle. Oh, I, always, I always laugh when an old man tells me he's conservative and then tells me how he's waiting for his Social Security check and deserves it. Thank you so much for calling the show, Tom. I appreciate it. Vince, how are you? Thanks for calling. Good. How are you? Wonderful. Uh, so uh, you, you were saying that that trade deal actually will have to pay Mexicans in Mexico? The trade deal has a minimum salary guarantee for any company that does business with the United States that in that company, the minimum pay is $16 an hour, both in Canada and Mexico. So they'll actually have to pay Mexicans in, in Mexico. Is that what you're trying to say? That, that, that sounds pretty good to me. That, well, what that means is that these are conservatives who have fought against government intervention in pricing employees, right? I get, I get, I get, I get all that, but you know, then they don't have to pay Mexicans four dollars an hour to do, you know, thirty dollar well, an hour job. So I have to pay them sixteen dollars to do thirty dollar an hour job. See, but you keep what you're saying. Well, yeah, but you you're going under the assumption that it is a thirty dollar an hour job when the history may What's very a $30 well thirty dollar an hour job here. Correct, but that's because in, of in a corrupt. So but they're paying them half. So that's better than four dollars an hour, right? But that's that's because of a corrupt union that made it a thirty dollar job. Well, would that help keep you know help Mexico? You know, no, and their workers. No, it takes away the. I comp- mean, don't it, you think it'll help? But don't you think it'll help like keep Mexicans in Mexico? Well, there's Maybe a lot they can, of they don't have to come here to make you know sixteen dollars an hour. Well, that's what for the, their thirty dollar an hour jobs. That would have been Americans would have been getting thirty dollars well, an hour. Job. Well, that's why the Democrats want to give money to Central American companies. They want to give money in hopes to keep Mexicans there. I want people here who want to be here to be free. Uh, well, I, what that's I, trying I think, to do I think is Mexico take, prospering would be good. But that's let I mean, Mexico I, prosper on its I'm own like way. Looking at but but the beauty of trade is you, you're you're taking advantage of the currency slippage. So when you're thinking about it, you're thinking about it in dollars. That's the wrong way to think about it. There is a currency difference. All this trade stuff sounds good to me. Which trade stuff? Especially with China. The China oh, trade oh. stuff. I Vince, mean, that's because... I mean, sure, we're, we're, 
Vince, we're, we're just at war right now, but when the smoke clears, when we win Do you war, believe that so government should tell you how to run your business and run your life? Oh, no. Well, then you don't no. believe. Then you should really look we at what these trade other, deals are. We could tell. Well, we could. But we're telling other countries. Well, the, and you shouldn't. You either believe in freedom or you don't. You either believe that, no, I'm in charge of my life and my business or some overlord is. You cannot have it both ways. What is the problem? Am I the only one that could see it? Can't be. I'm the only guy. Can't be some real estate broker, guy in that likes to yell on the radio. Can't be. I'm the only guy. Have we forgotten what freedom is? Because you know who we have next, and I'm really excited about it. We have a Venezuelan next, and he's going to tell you how populism is socialism. So be careful when you root for totalitarian overlords. 312-642-5600. The one obligation all Americans have is to fight for freedom and liberty. It is to fight against tyranny. America is more than just a country. It's an idea. It's an idea of the Enlightenment, that all of us have unalienable rights. Every other political philosophy is steeped in force. And the thing about tyranny, socialism in, in particular, it's not a punch in the face. It is a slow-growing cancer that metastasizes and absolutely kills. The prime example of that, the most recent example, is Venezuela. An absolute and complete jewel of South America at one time, richer than anybody could imagine, a bastion of freedom, wealth, independence, and slowly but surely, fast at the end, socialism destroyed Venezuela. So when we talk about it, it's always important to get somebody who lived it. And today we have Daniel DiMartino. He lived in Venezuela until his family migrated in 2016. Daniel is an activist, a writer, a speaker on the issue of socialism around the globe. He's a spokesman at Venti Venezuela, and I'm sure I butchered that, and a contributor, contributor to Young Voices. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Hi, good, and you? Wonderful, wonderful. Listen, I wanted to bring you on because I think that the Americans are, are, are ignorant to the fact that socialism is bipartisan. Socialism sounds pretty in the beginning and ends very ugly. And I'm wondering, now that you're here, what, are you still in contact with people who are somehow surviving in Venezuela? Every day I talk to family members, to friends who are still in Venezuela, and the difference is just amazing. You know, every, when, I, when I came to the United States, um, and, you know, just seeing supermarkets, it's, it's a different world, right? Having the choice to buy what you want, when you want it, uh, the quantity you want, that's a privilege that most Venezuelans don't have, that I didn't have when I, when I lived there. But it's important to realize your grandparents did have that at one time. Venezuela went from a country that was similar to ours to a third world nation in about 15 years, didn't it? Yeah, actually, my grandparents have a story that I that I say it's just like the American dream. They immigrated from Italy and Spain to Venezuela with nothing when they were 19 um, to after, you know, World War Two and the Spanish Civil War. They were very poor. They had nothing. And they built, uh, uh, you know, their families here in Venezuela. They bought a home. They started their own businesses. They became middle class. And their children went to college despite them not even having elementary education. 
And all of that was then destroyed within one generation, the, my parents' generation, and then to mine, uh, because of the socialist policies that were implemented. And those socialist policies that were implemented, they sounded wonderful in the beginning, didn't they? They sounded like well, it would be let, a utopia. Let me tell you, yeah. th- those socialist policies were free health care, free food, free housing, free uh, electricity, free utilities, absolutely everything for free you could imagine. Most of those things were given to the vast majority of Venezuelans for free. And the problem was that there was no money for that. And they just started printing it, so inflation ate away all their income. Daniel, you sound a lot like the Democrats running for the presidency. Everything you just said. (laughs) Everything for free, right? Everything is for free. And I'm curious, um, when you're here and you're witnessing, as to some extent both parties are practicing either the outright socialism or the Hugo Chavez populism at the end, Are you recognizing that in both parties? And do you think that eventually you're just on dry land for now, but that America's future could very well slip into Venezuela's present? Well, I I think that it is definitely the Democrats who are proposing the policies that are similar to what Venezuela experienced. Um, I, I understand that some people don't like President Trump's tone about the media and things like that. But that's very, you know, it's a whole world in difference from not liking the media to <laughs> banning the media, right? So that, yeah. Which is what happened in Venezuela. And I, I am confident that because of the testimony of so many people who went, who went through socialism uh, in other countries, and because there's a huge liberty movement in this country that doesn't exist anywhere else, the best chance we have to stop in socialism is in the United States. No, nowhere else. This is the country that can stop socialism. See, I actually like Trump's tone towards the media. I really do. There are certain aspects of his character I find fun and entertaining. Right, but th- I was reading yesterday an article from somebody comparing Trump with Hugo Chavez because of his tone with the media, and I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing you can ever say. There. You can't criticize anybody, and that's your right. That doesn't mean you ban them. No, I agree with you. Where I criticize Trump is for the similarities of of the national populism that I watched Hugo Chavez implement around the year 2000, when they became very, very trade control, economic control orientated. I'll never forget when we watched that video where he was walking down the street, he said, that building is nationalized. This building is nationalized. And there's a way to do that in America through policy that I find upsetting even when republicans do it and i think most of americans don't understand that when you tell people what to pay their employees when you mandate them like barack obama did how to carry and cover insurance for them when you take control through law you are in essence doing what hugo chavez had the courage to do in a red shirt in the middle of the street i think that americans don't understand that and i'm concerned that we could slip into that as so many Americans and I am concerned, and I am concerned that it that it is being done very gradually, and that's the way they're trying to do it here, right? They're not going to destroy the country and make it into Venezuela from one day to the next, but they're progressively going to increase government's role. They're not going to start with Medicare for all. They're going to make it as a public option, just like they did with Obamacare first. And right. then it's a public option. Then it's Medicare. Then it's nationalizing all hospitals. And then it's telling you what to buy, uh, when to buy it, you know, rent control, all these things that they're already supporting in several uh, states. 
Are you surprised? I, I, I saw in your bio you're an economics major. Are you surprised that we are living in a country that had such great philosophical understanding of how to maintain and be free? We've got such great books as The Road to Serfdom by Hayek. Um, and we've got you know th- institutions dedicated only towards freedom and capitalism. But yet you're seeing in this country as that's becoming a dirty word, that there's now a movement to stop using capitalism. Are you shocked at how fast we're following kind of Venezuela's lead? I, I am shocked by how fast it's been in the last few years of how Democrats have become much more radical in their tone, how they have elected representatives like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, like Ilan Omar. Ilan Omar, who even, you know, supports the legitimacy of Nicolas Maduro. Like, you, you know, she, she thinks this is all a, trying to overthrow Nicolas Maduro is a right-wing coup staged by Trump. That's how ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, she is. Um and it's happened in just a couple of years that these people have risen within that, that party. So mm. I think that that's shocking, but it's also very, very D- Daniel, could you good hold, to could see you, so many. Could yeah. you hold on with me through the break? I don't want to let you go. Do you mind if you hold on? Yeah, of course. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We'll be back with uh, Daniel, and we're going to enlighten the people as to how this cancer of socialism kills a country. You're back. AM 560, The Answer. While I do the show, it's called The Slap and Tickle. Not much tickle, but we are going to have a lot of slap. Daniel, I want to thank you so much, Daniel DiMartino, for holding on. When you see, now I know you're not in Chicago, but I know you see the news. And Chicago is clearly the communist capital of of America. And when you see the Chicago Teachers Union praise Venezuela, are you surprised that it's the academics that are praising this clear totalitarian failure I think that they are the ones who have it easier, right? The academics to, to support this kind of system because they don't have to struggle with, with the consequences of that system, right? Mm-hmm. They don't know what it's like to live uh, and not have the opportunity to buy something that you need to buy to eat in the supermarket because the government doesn't let you. And that's something that I have been that I have had to go through. Um, and I'm actually very, very uh, outraged at what that... Uh, union in Chicago, Teachers Union, did when they traveled to Venezuela, if that's what, what you're referring to. Yeah, that's exactly you know, the and, propaganda. And going there <laughs> and supporting the, the communist regime. I'm, I'm actually uh, shocked that they haven't been investigated by U.S. authorities. It probably goes against U.S. sanctions. Uh, I know that they met with leaders from the Maduro regime. It's very dangerous. We could be having infiltrated spies, you know, Americans collaborating with a dictatorship. Daniel, this is Chicago. Saul Alinsky was doing this in the 50s. You're going to see. I mean, I know you're young and you're here new, but this is where it all goes down. Um, and I wasn't surprised because to me it was clear, clearly um, evident that the Chicago Teachers Union, as are all unions, are basically communists in hiding. Um, but at the end, what you see, the people in the government in Venezuela, they didn't have it as bad as the people, did they? Oh, no, not at all. Maduro has gotten fatter and fatter every year he's been in power. Same with Chavez. If you see the pictures, it's amazing. He was actually very thin when he when, before he became president. And then he just became fatter and fatter. And isn't his daughter living in Florida and she's worth billions of dollars now? Uh, um, I think that she lives in New York City uh, because they, none of them are allowed to live in the United States because of Trump's sanctions. But she's uh, working for the U.N. delegation and because of uh, ridiculous United Nations rules, 
the U.S. government cannot uh, capture her, arrest her. So she lives within around a mile radius of the United Nations building in New York City. You know, I'm just disgusted, Daniel, as I talk to you, because, you know, this is this is the effect of real people. Socialism isn't all inclusive. In fact, it's exclusive. It's if you're not part of it, if you're not in the government, you're the people that are starving. You're the people that are eating your dogs. You're the people who are dying. And it oh, seems- socialism doesn't create any equality at all. Socialism just creates poverty. Socialism just kills the regular folk and benefits the elite. But it's 2019. We have the Internet. We have the, the, the advantage to review our history like no generation before us. When will humanity stop destroying itself if we can't recognize what happened from your country? It just seems hopeless to me. And I'm worried. I'm an old man. I've got 30 years left. You're a young man. Is the fight against it big enough, in your opinion? I think that it is big enough in the United States, and we need to be careful in other countries, because while we're having this conversation here in Latin America, the Maduro regime has sponsored uh, protesters and terrorists who are actually stabilizing Chile, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, and their goal is to have those countries elect people like uh, Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro so that they can control those countries as well. And they're much closer to becoming a truly socialist country than the United States ever will. Uh, They don't have liberty movements like here. They don't have conservative uh, people, as many as here. So we need to be uh, much more active in the global stage to stop them. Daniel, promise me you'll join me again, because unfortunately capitalism means I have to go to a commercial. I have so... (laughs) That's great. Don't worry. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I've had such a good time. Uh, I'll be back after the next week. Please tune in tomorrow. I'm not sure who's here, but I'm sure it'll be fun. Just not as much fun. Thank you so much for listening.